Download from Relay FM, recorded Thursday, October 12, 2017. This is episode 25, Not That Nokia. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and this week I'm joined, as always, by two wonderful guests returning to the show again. We love having her here, analyst at Creative Strategies, Carolina Milanese. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back. It's great to have you here. Uh, first time on Download, but I've talked to him on other podcasts many a time. Slovenia's, I, I'm saying it, I'm claiming it, <laughs> number one tech writer and podcaster, Anjay Tom. Mitch. Hello. Hi. Yeah, number one. That's, yeah. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. Number like. one. <laughs> yeah. Americans who know nothing about Slovenia think yeah. that you're the tops. <laughs> yeah, so says Jason Snow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, quote me. You yeah. can quote me on that. Okay. Uh, all right, um, let's get down to it. The most interesting stories of the week, as chosen by me and by download producer Stephen Hackett, who is not here listening in and popping up like a meerkat. He is on assignment today. Uh, which brings us to topic number one. This week, we got the kind of official word, official admission, they called at the time of death, uh, that Windows <laughs> Phone is gone. There were some tweets from Microsoft about how, uh, of course, they will continue to support support the platform with bug fixes and security updates, but building new features and hardware are not the focus. Sad face emoji for Windows Phone. Now, we've this has been kind of obvious for a long time, although I will point out that about five years ago, I think IDC declared that Windows Phone would have 40% mobile market share by now. Um, it, it didn't. That was not realistic. Anyway, uh, it was already mostly dead, but... Um, and there's a nice piece at The Verge that we'll put in the show notes, which is sort of the history, the whole story of Windows Phone. I, I don't know. Do, do you have... I mean, this has been obvious for a while now. So before I, I ask about the big picture, I thought I would just ask about the details here. Is this... You know, it's obviously not surprising. Is it sad? Do you, do you feel bad that, that Microsoft couldn't make it work? Uh, yes, because they're one of the few companies that actually has sort of the tools at their disposal to make an OS. Because as we all know, that's kind of hard to do mm -hmm. and I, I was i was actually kind of hoping they were gonna you know pull through and make it a thing but the pattern yeah well it's been a pattern for a while that it hasn't happened so i am sad because you know it's less competition it's basically just android and uh, ios now and uh, a couple of weird os's that nobody's ever heard about but i get to test anyway yay <laughs> but, uh, but yeah it's it is sad to me because um uh, uh, and i actually like the os like, I genuinely enjoyed using it, so uh, it's kind of a bummer to, to see it go. But, you know, like, like with BlackBerry, you kind of, you, you always know it's coming. So when the sort of official, and even this isn't the official word, because it's like you said, you know, updates will still be coming and stuff. You know, they, they never buried the thing completely. It's always like a trail off at the end. But yeah, when, when stuff like this happens, I, it makes me sad. Because that's, you know, Microsoft's a proper technology company, and it's kind of sad they don't have a... Oh, what's the saying? A horse in the race, right? Am I using mm. that right? Is that, yeah. yeah. You got it. Yeah, so, yeah. Sad for me. I'm kind of sad, too. Um, and and uh, more so, to be honest, with what this meant for Nokia. N not the new Nokia, the old Nokia. Right. 
just because being European and, you know, having followed mobile for longer, but I want to admit, um, it, it was the company that everybody was looking at and they'd done some great stuff. And even, you know, I was at the Google event last week and it was funny. Uh, we still talk about the uh, the off screen, the active off screen. And it's like, God, Nokia had this, you know, ages ago. And they had wireless charging in 2012. And here we are in 2017 getting excited. So there's that part of what, you know, the, fail- the failing of, of Windows uh, phone has, has done for Nokia. And then I, I agree um, that the OS per se, finally, with the, the latest version, was actually a good OS, but I still don't see the focus on the ecosystem. And even with Windows um, 10 for the PC, I don't see enough focus on the ecosystem. And and I hope that um, they learn for, from from their mistakes, right, on, on the mobile side, because there was nothing wrong with the OS. It's just they were late in the game and there wasn't enough focus on building enough applications. And, uh, and that's what it boiled down to. Um, you know, the, the model that they had on the PC side didn't, didn't work in mobile. Um, but they should have pulled the plug a long time ago. Um, because it, you know, the, the writing was on the wall. And I think the concern with them was what the enterprise customers still had on that platform. What would they think? And, um, you know, for the number of customers that they had, all they need to do is support them. They don't necessarily have to uh, be in the space. And what they're doing now, what Microsoft is doing now, which is really playing more uh, with original apps and, you know, first party apps on other platforms and making their services and applications available on other platform, iOS and Android, um, is the right approach that they're taking. Um, you know, the, the customers they want are on iOS and Android, right? And it's much easier to get them to be engaged with their services and applications than it is to get them to use a different OS. Something that Andre said about uh, how, uh, you know, it's, it's only... It's it's still not entirely dead. It dovetails with what you said about serving their customers. That I think this is sort of the Microsoft way, but it's also the Microsoft trap that they have to, um, you know, they they've sold to their partners all of these right. phones that they need to support. So they can't just walk away. They feel like they have to hang around for a while, which is is I mean, it's a great asset when they've got these incredible customers, but it's also a burden because they've got a. I think I think that's why, like you said, that it it survived and continues to survive longer than it probably should, just because they they didn't they didn't want to walk away from offering that complete system. And the fact is, when it, when the it, it came out and as it progressed, I mean, it had limitations, but people really liked that it was a different take on a mobile operating system because Android uh, the perception is. Android, especially early on, owed a whole lot to iOS, and they were very similar functioning interfaces. And you know, Windows Phone, maybe because it was late, was was a rethink, and people generally liked that they were trying to innovate. Um, and it, you know, and it didn't it didn't catch on. And those, those innovations, maybe some of them will have been and will be stolen by Apple and Google. But um, it, it's a shame that something <clears throat> Microsoft did that was original and interesting. Uh, didn't make it for people who are used to sort of seeing um, Microsoft as the all-powerful uh, back in the day in this field. It was kind of shocking to see them doing something that was really innovative and not having any success with it. But as far as the OS being good, it was great on like uh, lower-end devices. 
So like the cheap Nokia's I tested, were they, they functioned better than like an old iPhone or a huh. low-end Android phone. So like my, I, I do this list of my recommendations every year. So people stop emailing me so I can just point them <laughs> to a link. <laughs> so uh, the, the sort of the phone to get, if you really don't want to spend any money on a phone, was always a Nokia device. Uh, again, the old Nokia, not whatever this is now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because it was a low-end phone, you know, the specs weren't that great. But if Microsoft knows how to do anything is like you know display drivers and you know it was all smooth it was like a far cry when Andro- low-end android uh, phones were just crap basically because the low-end hardware just couldn't run it you should see like i, like, I should show you some of the phones i tested from, from like samsung and lg where it basically cost just nothing they just gave it to you if you signed a two-year contract and it really wasn't a smartphone it ran android but you could mostly just make phone calls and type uh, sms uh, texts but even that was kind of, you know, the, the keyboard didn't really function properly. So when Microsoft came out with the Nokia phones and the low-end ones especially, it was, just, it was amazing. Like that's, that, that sort of segment of the market has kind, of, has kind of gone away just because the hardware has progressed so much and it kind of can run m- almost any instance of Android fairly well. Uh, but uh, like a two, three years ago, maybe um, Microsoft Nokia phones, the low end ones were just, they were the best phone for somebody who you just wanted to get into smartphones. You know, I always called it the grandma phone. Mm. So if you just wanted, you know, a phone where somebody could, could get uh, uh, like emails and just kind of forget about MMS and all of that stuff and uh, use a, like a decent camera, you know, it was usually five megapixels or something so you could take a photo wasn't great if the sun was out it was great but you know but yeah the low-end stuff was awesome and just one more point on the nokia stuff the nokia phones especially the pla- well the plastic ones that kind of sounds uh, the the ones from the material that was some sort of polymer or plastic it kind of it's like soft touch plastic they were made of color i don't know if anybody remembers that but I, i'd actually <laughs> i'd like to see more of that because there's just, it's always with the, you know, the 17th version of gray, silver, mm. and gold now. And it's so boring. And the Nokia phones were just the opposite of that. Uh, my mom actually had a, uh, a Nokia Windows phone. It was white because she likes white. She has a white car, car, car. Hi, Casey. Uh, so, uh, like, those phones are properly pretty. And, like, you could pick and choose the colors, not just the case. And, yeah. More of that, honestly. So that, that also makes me sad that Windows Phone is going away. But I mean, they, they got into a trap, didn't they? Because to your point, Ansha, the, the um, appeal at the beginning was, okay, let's not go after the high end because that's where people did not just buy a phone. They bought into an ecosystem of vision, right? Either Android or, or iOS. Let's go after people that still have a feature phone and give them a smartphone that, uh, they can upgrade to. So that was the initial strategy, especially with, you know, when Nokia went over to uh, the devices part of Nokia went over to Microsoft. But that was too late. What they didn't, I think, in my view, see is that, uh, first of all, there was Android that was coming out with lower end devices that were cheaper, uh, even if from a, from a um, uh, tax perspective, they were not as good. People that were buying feature phones back four years ago, three years ago, did not care to spend money. They didn't want to spend money and they didn't want a smartphone. 
Plus, they would go on a recommendation on what everybody else around them was using. So it was a hard play. And then going after the high end, which is where obviously it's profitable, but also where their services and application will play more of a role and where the consumers are more engaged and more valuable to the ecosystem. That was super difficult. And I think the the big part that Microsoft did not think about, in, in my view correctly, was that even today, uh, there's no tie between what I do on my PC and what I do on my phone in respect to the OS. So I can work on a Windows PC all day and be perfectly happy having an um, an iPhone or a Pixel or whatever else that I want, right? And they got to that thinking late. And that's when the strategy shifted and they started to think, okay, so we don't have to own that device, we can still get the engagement on our apps. That's why Office, I was joking with with a Surface team and say, you know, I Office on my Mac is the best implementation of the touch bar that I, I've seen. You know, that's why the touch bar makes such a, a big difference to me. Before Office, not so much. Yeah, using the emojis is kind of cute, but you know, it doesn't really <laughs> make you that much more productive. Um, and I said, you know, it's nice from a consumer perspective, from a user perspective, that it's not just one way, right? That you have to go full in, that Office has the ability today to be the best of Office in whatever platform they want, not just Windows. It's great for the user. Uh, the, the, when the strategy shifted, yeah, it was too late, but like we we can sort of try and dissect the whole history of it and sort of, I was going to say the rise and fall, but there was no rise really. <laughs> so, but like, honestly, when, they were just late at the beginning. Like, I think that kind of just undercut cut them so much. And I, I actually, when they took over the Nokia devices, um, part of Nokia, I, I just figured that was doomed. But when the phones started coming out, they were decent phones, but just the ecosystem, like you said, wasn't there, you know, then... When you're late, you're late and you kind of, you know, Microsoft gave it, gave it a pretty good shot, honestly, and just didn't work out. And and, and the answer wasn't the hardware, right? Exactly to you, the, the yeah. point you just made. It wasn't just bringing out better phones. That wasn't going to do it. Yeah, because we all, like, when we all remember, you know, just saying, you know, uh, when uh, the numbers of how many apps a platform has was still a thing before it just became some ridiculous number. <laughs> that was a big thing then, you know, iOS has this, there's so many apps and then Android sketch up and then on Windows Phone is like we just got Instagram but it's in beta and it kind of doesn't work <laughs> like uh, the other platforms just had everything and it's that you just can't like beat that basically yeah. so and then they tried with the whole emulation and just yeah just kind of petered out at the end there and you mentioned uh, you both mentioned Nokia a lot that that the shame of it is that that purchase happened basically at a moment when it was it was clear if it wasn't clear then it was clear almost immediately after it that, that it was a horrible mistake and Steve Ballmer yeah. left and in the end what that purchase did was basically just destroy a, destroy the old Nokia and yeah. and nobody got anything out of it other than I guess whoever got paid by Microsoft to buy Nokia <laughs> but that was about it uh, which is also a shame. So, so okay. Backing up a little bit, we are we are here in this world where yeah, there's Android and there's iOS. Um, 
I remember talking to, I think, Michael Gartenberg like five years ago about this. And he was like, no, I think there'll probably be three players in this market in the end that, that it'll shake out to be a little different than the dynamic of the PC market. But yet here we are. We've got a large uh, market share operating system that's on all sorts of different hardware. And then we've got Apple <laughs> with a smaller market share, although the, the financial d- dynamics of the market are quite different. Apple Apple's making a lot of money in this market. Um, but uh, we've got... Uh, so. It, is the is today's mobile market really just i mean is this just how it is is that we you end up with two players um or is this market dynamic different uh from the pc market you know is android android's not windows right i guess that's the big difference is that is that android's a little bit different but it seems like we still come down to something that's awfully familiar for those of us who remember the days of mac versus pc in the 80s and 90s well, yeah, there are some parallels, I guess, but the, the the whole thing with mobile is it's still supposed to grow, except every tech company now is like Google is going on, the mobile is over, AI is going to be the next big thing and, you know, all of that stuff. But generally, like the, the not everybody has an, uh, a smartphone yet. So, but um, but the, the sad thing is, I think you're kind of right, it's just going to be the two players, which, you know, makes, again, we're all going to be sad now. <laughs> Because uh, Microsoft's out, but uh, the the thing with Android is, and this is not sort of this is the worst part of Android, and sort of the thing that makes it kind of great is first it's free, and then because it's basically just a Linux distro, like that's really generalizing it, but because it's a Linux distro, it really um, it has spread far and wide. Um, I, I've gotten like I've got, gotten the chance to review some phones from India at some point. Don't ask me how, but I, uh, it just kind of translates over, I guess. Uh, being um, like sort of the kernel is sort of a Linux kernel, and then uh, Google giving it away for free. And when it's free, people just put it on all sorts of stuff and gets embedded everywhere. And that's that's where the strength of Android is, and why it kind of crowds out any potential startup or you know sort of. Well, Microsoft's not a startup, but at least in the mobile space. So I think that the, the sad reality is that, yeah, we're going to have Android and all its versions and then iOS on the other side being the, the, one, the, the one company that actually makes money on mobile with the hardware. Yeah, I guess it's Samsung and Apple, but that's about it, right? Yeah, but even you say people mention Samsung, like they're making the same kind of money that Apple is. And that's just not the case. No, that, that's not the case. But they are making you know, money. Uh, yeah, and I'm an Android guy, so you know, before people start, you know, coming at me, but like, it's not like the, the, the like you say, what well, you, you had this great sort of diplomatic phrase for it, the, the what the financial dynamics. <laughs> yeah, the financial <laughs> dynamics are are yeah. weird in mobile. Apple makes a lot of money on this, and they didn't make a lot of money on the Mac. But uh, but yeah, it's true. It's true. You see those um, market share numbers often where um, there's market share and then there's profit share. And the profit share tends to be Apple has a lot of uh, the profit share and Samsung. And if you add Apple and Samsung together, it's more than 100% because a bunch of companies are also losing money on phones. Yeah. So it's a, It's... It's weird. Uh, any any prospect for this changing, Carolina, or is this it? It's just going to be variations of Android plus iOS for a long time. Yeah, I I don't really think that DOS matters anymore. You know, is is um, is the engine in the car, but what matters is everything that is built around it hmm. and on top of it, and um, it is what it is. And I don't think that anybody else has the time and the money that Google has had to create something like Android to come in and, and make a difference. And if you look at successes um, like Xiaomi, 
for instance, right, where they took something off a shelf and then they, they forked it and they did their own layer of from a UI perspective and then services, you can see how you can be very successful once you control all the pieces of it. So they're you know, successful in, in, in China, but when they try to export that model to other markets where you don't have the same strength from an ecosystem, from from a content side, an application side, then you see how you struggle. Um, it was the same with the Fire Phone from Amazon, right? They tried to layer something and fork Android, and and that didn't work because they just didn't have enough traction from a, um, a developer perspective, and because they weren't using Google services, but the consumers at the end want. Uh, so I, I think what we have is what we're going to be stuck with. The question is going to be, uh, you know, now that we're moving more to smart home and voice first, and is that the new battleground? And yeah, there's a lot of, um, I, I, I kind of share the, you know, the skepticism uh, when I shall sell, you know, AI and cloud. And based, that's the next battleground, right? Is Is how you get consumers engage so you can do machine learning so you can get smarter and smarter and get money out of it the other end by knowing what to um, pitch from an advertising perspective or search perspective or what have you that's the next big thing nobody cares about the engine underneath that is going to get you there all right well if you want to pour one out for Windows Phone, you can do so. You may have already poured it out a long time ago. And if not, wait, there will be more opportunities for you to pour it out as it slowly stops being updated. Um, but uh, we will move on to another topic. Before I do that, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of Download is brought to you by Balance. Balance is the team behind Balance for Mac. It's an app that helps you monitor all your bank balances and card transactions. They've also just launched Balance. Open, which is a free open source Mac app for checking Coinbase. That's a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of everything. If you're not familiar with cryptocurrencies, uh, I'm not surprised. Very few people are, and that's okay. Balance wants to help teach you about how cryptocurrencies work by starting you on your way. The first thousand people that go to this URL, bal.money slash relay, that's B-A-L dot money slash relay, will receive $2 in the Ethereum cryptocurrency for free as a gift from Balance, so you can try it out and say, I have cryptocurrency. Check it out today, find out more, and try out Balance Open, bal.money slash relay. Thank you to Balance. Balance for supporting download. All right, our next topic, uh, something that was announced this week, or at least reported, I should say. I don't think Apple is announcing anything about this, but it was reported because the entertainment industry also leaks like the tech industry does. The Wall Street <laughs> Journal reported that Apple has made a deal with, they say Steven Spielberg, but let's be honest, they made a deal with his company, Ambling, and NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast. They're the ones who apparently have the rights to the Amazing Stories TV show, which Spielberg famously produced in the 80s, although I did see the guy who does the Amazing Stories magazine claims their license uh, was revoked, so some money will probably change hands there. Who knows? But anyway, the deal is for a 10-episode uh, a revival of Amazing Stories, the TV show, that App Apple is funding um, that's uh, at $5 million an episode, that's uh, $50 million bucks 
Uh, and Wall Street Journal also reports that Apple, Apple's new TV executives, they hired two high-profile TV executives who previously worked at Sony, and they've built an entire TV group in Culver City um, in order to build, presumably, a video streaming service. They've given them, according to the Wall Street Journal, a billion dollars to spend on content, which seems like a lot, because it is, but it's not as much as the $7 billion that Netflix is probably going to spend in this area in the next year. Um, so, tech companies, Amazon, there's Netflix, of course course um and now apple um basically hiring tv execs and spending money to make tv shows um i'm curious what you guys think about this what uh, carolina do we want our tech companies making our entertainment for us or is this a uh, is this a game that apple just has to play oh they have to play absolutely and uh, you know if they go along with uh, the level of success that netflix and which i see more as a tech company to some extent than, yeah. than just a content company, right? And Amazon I've had, I mean, if you watch the Emmys, it, it was quite astonishing to see how many of the nominations were coming out of Netflix, Amazon and, and Hulu. Yeah. And, um, and Apple has to go into uh, that game because we cannot just continue to count on, you know, the iPhone 11 and 12 and 15 and 25. Um, they need to diversify where their money is coming from. And, um, you know, f- they'll continue to do hardware, they'll continue to optimize hardware. But I start to see a different trend where, you know, you always had software and services on top of a hardware to justify the cost of a hardware. And I start to see an Apple that actually wants to get money out of that software and services and applications and what they deliver on top of the hardware. And I think that's not a bad thing. It's something that Wall Street has asked them to do for a long time. Yeah, Before Amazon started doing its own content, I was the guy saying, ah, they just shouldn't bother. There's just everybody's going to fall on their face. But I've seen a couple of Amazon shows that are really good. So I, I, I guess I guess Apple kind of just, yeah, like, like, like she said, like we just need to, yeah, they just need to do it basically. And the, the thing is, apparently when you just get two executives from Sony and put them in a building somewhere, like shows, <laughs> shows will start to happen because that, that's all we know at this point. I know that, like, <laughs> well, they have relationships, right? So now everybody's like, oh, hey, Zach and Jamie, we want to work with those guys. And they've got a big, yeah. and they've got a billion dollars from a tech company to spend. Yeah. Give me that money. And you see, all of that was like more funny to me before Amazon kind of pulled it off. That's the yeah. thing. And I think Apple, Apple the, the one thing I kind of, I don't, it's not really a worry, but I don't know what what kind of shows Apple will actually produce. Uh, I, you know, they have that. They're sort of part of. Well, they're not part of Disney, but you know, the Pixar stuff. They're really like in bed with Disney, and Disney ha- kind of has this squeaky clean brand uh, where whenever people die, basically, it's never the Disney brand. It's always some offshoot of it, and I think kind of Apple sort of does have. I don't, at least that's my perception. They have this sort of pure image that I don't know if they'll want to, you know, I, I, I have a hard time seeing an Apple logo and then a show like Game of Thrones coming on. Like, I don't know how that's going to work, if they'll actually be able to sort of divorce the content from the overall image of the company or if it's going to be called something else. But again, two guys in a building that are apparently making stuff. And I saw a lot of nostalgia about the uh, Spielberg's amazing stories. I actually had to Google what I, what exactly that was. But that's the one where Kevin Costner is in a B-17, right? 
That, that was it's an anthology show like the Twilight Zone, yeah, but, except not as good. Sorry, fans of Amazing <laughs> Stories. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, don't go back and watch it again. Yeah, it's not just me, Dan. It's not particularly great, right? No, it's I, not, yeah. My my memory of it was that it wasn't. Uh, I remember seeing it. It aired when I was fifteen years old, and my friends who saw it when they were nine or ten th- thought it was great. And as a teenager, I was like, no, this isn't very good. Um, <laughs> the Twilight Zone revival <laughs> they did about the same time was way better, actually, but. Oh, it's better. Yeah. The, the 80s Twilight Zone is better than Amazing Story. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's not just me then. No, okay, it's, I'm it's, actually it's not just you, now. but it's a big name. And and so this is one of the things that it, it's, it, it is funny because we think of Apple and Steven Spielberg, right? Like Tim Cook and Steven Spielberg made a deal or Eddie Q and Steven Spielberg make a, made a deal here. But really what's happening with all of these companies is they're hiring experienced entertainment executives and setting them up somewhere and giving them money and saying, you do the creative part, you buy the shows and we'll build the service because they want to play in this in this space so you know it's not it's not apple's tech executives doing this it's the tv executives that they're giving the money to who have the relationships who's going to who are going to do it um i've heard a lot of people say why do we need more um why do we need more monthly streaming video services and it's a good question we probably don't but everybody is launching one because they know (laughs) that traditional tv is going to go away oh absolutely they want to be left one of the ones they're not all going to make it right but they're going to they want to be one of the ones left standing and you can't win the lottery unless you buy the ticket which is what apple i think is doing here i, I agree and and uh, we don't need them but no. the, the fact that we have more if that brings my price down of the one i have i'm happy so <laughs> you know that's the joys of competition right in the u.s we have we have netflix and hulu and amazon we have acorn and BritBox. there is uh there's what what else is there there's a there's a horror or two horror streaming services there's a classic movie one fx is launching one amc is launching one cbs all access is out there now with star trek um there are so many and they're all these ten dollar a month services and no, some of them will succeed reaching a broad audience. Some of them will find a profitable niche and the rest of them will die. But but that, that's, that process is going to have to work out. I, I don't know if people are counting on the fact, if these companies are counting on the fact, like if I look at us as, a, as an example, and I know that we are weird, I always preempt with, you yeah. know, we're not normal. <laughs> but, you know, we are subscribing to Netflix, mainly for movies for my daughter, who's 10. And then we have Hulu mainly for me to binge watch late at night when I have, you know, an hour or two hours to to spend when everybody else is in bed. (laughs) And we also have Amazon because it comes with the subscription, right? So there are ways where everybody wins. But the the content part, I thought what, um, uh, what, what was just said was fascinating about the Apple brand and the content that they're going to produce because um, I too, I will have to admit that I had to go and Google what this series was all about because I guess it didn't make <laughs> it to Italy. Um, but um, it's that idea of let's get a big name that people recognize, right? And that is going to give us credibility because yep. I think that's what it is. But credibility with whom? Gen Z and millennials 
are not going to care. I'm still trying to convince my daughter to watch E.T. because it's one of the best movies ever and she doesn't want to. Um, so who are you targeting? And granted, you know, Gen Z and, and, uh, and millennials might not the ones be paying the, the bill for, for the streaming service, but those are the eyeballs that you want because that's the next generation of, of users, right, that you want to engage with. And I think sometimes there's that idea and also the idea that you need to have big names to have a successful show. And, you know, if I look at uh, GOT, I didn't know any of the actors in it. And, you know, I started watching it because everybody was talking about it. And I actually binge watched the first four series. Um, you know, sleep deprivation was terrible. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got to it and, and it was, you know, by somebody I needed, didn't hear as, as a, you know, series of, of directors with actors I'd never heard of or, or almost, right? But it was still successful. So I think that might be that dynamic of somebody that comes in like an Amazon or a Netflix that do something totally uh, you know, out of the box thinking and, and an Apple that is trying more the old fashioned way of going with, let's go with what people know, who they know, who they liked before, and you get to do remakes of things. Um, Carpool Karaoke is another example, right? Of something that spoke to consumers today, very successful, and they bought the franchise. I don't think it's paid out to be what they were hoping, uh, at least the show is very different for me to the original just because it's so overproduced. So it's interesting. Yeah, the um, the, the the previous, I guess basically it was the before these guys got hired, they, they made the deal for Carpool Karaoke. Um, this is this is purchase one. I think, yeah, it, I think they make a mistake if what they are doing is just trying to get big names. They want some names that are recognizable because they want to send a signal that this is legitimate stuff. I think if right. if it's all of the level of Steven Spielberg, it's a and he's not even going to I mean, his name would be on it, but it's going to be. Uh, it's not like he's going to be the director. Yeah, uh, it's going to be Brian right. Fuller, apparently who runs it and uh but they're going to need to make deals that, and there are rumors out there that they're bidding for you know high profile creators they 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 bid a lot of money and lost out for the American horror story creators next show Ryan Murphy's next show they lost out to, to Netflix on that one um, they're talking to a bunch of high profile they're talking to the breaking bad people uh the producer and actually Brian Cranston the star of that for 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 different things but you know it, it's going to be interesting to see what the strategy is here are they going for big names are they going for blockbusters are they spreading it around and doing spending some of this money on high profile and some of this taking bets on things that might be the next stranger things right something that is from nobody's ever heard of it but it becomes a sensation um because you you right they do want to reach a broad audience ultimately right they want to appeal to as many people as they as they can i would assume well and also i think if you go for the big names at least some of the time i think that helps them as, as far as the relationship with the entertainment industry grows, because I, I guess if you're a showrunner or a producer and Apple says they're going to buy you, their only sort of two shows they've made was Carpool Karaoke. And like Carolina said, that's not exactly the same as the original. And then there's this other show, which I think probably everybody wants to forget. That's my Planet impression. of the Apps, of course. Yeah, yes. Planet of the Apps, yeah. No, but, but you have to, like, the, the, the one thing I keep coming back to, this is Apple. It's like the most successful company in the world now. And there were meetings there and somebody thought that was an actually, actually a good idea. Mm-hmm. 
Like that was cool. I'm, and I'm not being flippant that, here. No, that, but like, that's why they had to hire professionals, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, why exactly. they had to like, no, 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 let's hire some actual TV people to do this because the tech people can't do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And when, uh, like, they're probably just trying to impress the rest of the entertainment industry with yeah. the purchase now because I don't think it has much to do with the customers. I think that's going to come later, but they, did need, at least, they at least need to sort of look like. Well, maybe not that they know what they're doing, but at least they, they're serious about this. Serious. Because anybody that looks at, you know, Planet of the Apps and looks at Apple and like there, there was a meeting when somebody greenlit that and that's just not okay. It's a good, uh, there's a good piece that I'm quoted in. So I got to do disclosure here in The Hollywood Reporter by Tim Goodman and another uh, news story linked to from there by Lacey Rose, also in The Hollywood Reporter about this. That is, Apple does have to convince Hollywood creative types about like what their plans are and maybe not the details of what their service will be and when it will launch but like what creative control are they going to get what kind of audience is expected who is the audience for this show what's the brand promise like is this a gritty hbo kind of thing or is it more squeaky clean family friendly disneyfied um that uh you know, we we have a very cynical view of Hollywood, probably rightfully so, especially after some of the news this week. But Hollywood people, creative types, are not entirely motivated by money. They want the money, but they also want the adulation. They want to reach a wide audience. They want creative control, and that's one of the biggest challenges. This, as this article points out, that Apple has is Apple has to send that message. Now, having some well-respected producers being the ones talking, having the meetings, helps Apple a lot, but. But they have to prove themselves because everybody knows what a Netflix show is and what an ABC show is and what an Amazon show and a Hulu show is. Nobody knows what an Apple show is. So that's that's, well, you know, well, we, we, yeah, we do, but they're not. Great. Well, no. Well, <laughs> that's, and that's and that's I think from from the, the producer's perspective, they're like, don't even think about those. Those were that's let's blame that on Eddie Q <laughs> you know, because yeah. because that's not yeah. that was their experimental phase before they brought in the professionals. I think it kind of worked for music for Vembo, right? You know, not buying beats per se, but getting the people, right? Well, right, from well, right. They got they got music industry people when they bought beats, which that's helped, right. helped them a lot, right? And that that's that's a bunch of people have asked, like, should Apple do something like buy a streaming service? And they could, right? They've got the money. They could buy Hulu. It might actually be better for Hulu if they were owned by Apple instead of by three different TV networks. Um, but uh, but Apple seems to have chosen not to do that because they did hire their own TV executives. The other way to go is to buy a company that's got TV executives programming original content already and then you've boom you've got it but they didn't do that instead they went out and hired their own their own people this is this is mark my words this is just the beginning they got a, they got a big checkbook that they still haven't spent they're going to be way more of these announcements with people you've heard of and also i hope to carolina's point people you've never heard of who have a great idea and that show is going to be the one that becomes the must-see show we could hope they've done that a little bit with music right to to um foster new artists that you never heard of and and um you you know, push right. him in through iTunes. Like Chance, and, Chance and the Rapper, right? Broke entirely in Apple Music, I think. Right. So yep. th- they have a good track record there. So I, I don't know why they wouldn't try and do a similar thing on, on the um, video side. I just wanted to do my little PSA as the guy that's not from America mm-hmm. with yeah. the streaming <laughs> with the streaming services like that that all sounds great, but we have Netflix here, sort of a Slovene version of Netflix mm-hmm. that doesn't have subtitles. 
So, you know, people that don't speak English are basically locked out uh, from the start. Uh, HBO actually has Slovenian subtitles, which is good for them. But we just have the HBO Go stuff. So uh, when Apple says it's going to do a streaming service, like they do offer Apple Music here. But uh, since they, this, I'm sorry, Jason, I'm going to say it again. Since they don't support Slovenian in the uh, in right. iOS, like I just, I have no hope of them supporting sort of my language when they offer the service here. So that, that's, I just need to point that out all the time. I know it's kind of stupid, but it's, it's sort of... I, I, think it's, I think it's relevant. It's one of those things where my guess is that... The question is what level of international support will Apple provide? My guess is they're going right. to be like Netflix, where they're going to be everywhere. It's not going to be one... Because when you buy a show, you can buy it, theoret- if you want, in every market. Yeah. And Netflix does that, and it rolls it out in every market. The next question, though, is what markets do you actively support with a dubbed version or a subtitled version and if you're in slovenia or another country that's not covered by that then you're left out i will point out that americans often get a skewed view of how tech companies play in the rest of the world because like amazon for example is not a major player worldwide yep. they are they're yep. just not focused on that like netflix is and like apple is yeah. and also it's also sort of a double-edged sword because you you can from my perspective i want more streaming services because that means more original content that because they're tech companies it's not going to be bound by sort of the uh the geographical barriers you know the deals because it's a new show they can kind of spread it around everywhere that's that's what's so great about netflix because when netflix announces a show it just shows up over here as well so it kind of undercuts piracy and all of that stuff so that's awesome but at the same time like you said they don't all have the same focus about you know the countries they want to support and honestly like the, with the subtitling it's the, that's really a crappy excuse when you hear they're they're spending like netflix is spending seven, seven billion dollars yeah on original content they can pay three guys to do some subtitles like that's it's not no see it's genuinely like if they offer it here they should at least do that because like i yeah but, but at least you can watch star trek uh, discovery in with klingon subtitles so yeah, th- that is true that is true and i'm enjoying it i am enjoying that so yeah but maybe that's a way to support local content too right in terms of like new content from local uh, players, because that was one of the biggest uh, pluses, if you like, of the the App Store. That um, at the beginning it was all English, right? But then uh, you started to see pockets of developers in different parts of the world coming up with their own apps, and and clearly with with videos not as easy as you know an app that you can do in your garage and then put it up in the store. But um, that would be a cool thing to do and, and to support, you know, actors and, and uh, directors and script writers uh, in the countries that they want to focus on so that it's not just about American content taking over the world. Yeah, and the way that's played out, at least as far as Netflix goes, as far as I'm aware, they, they do sort of, they, you have actual Spanish Netflix shows mm-hmm. and then uh, sort of some parts of Scandinavia. And yeah, I think there's, the French, French there's French Netflix yeah. shows too. And, they, and what's cool about that is that those shows are almost always released everywhere with subtitles or dubbed versions as well, which gives people in other countries a chance to see shows originating from France, let's say, not just the French. I think that Netflix has got a deal that they're working on with Canada to do something similar to produce some Canadian programming as well, and that that may be uh, you know a road that Apple needs to walk down too. I think yeah. so. 
Yeah, and the, you mentioned um, Star Trek Discovery being on Netflix. Like that, that's properly amazing to a Trekkie like me, because <laughs> I get to see the show like right away without it falling off a truck. Yeah, and that just was like that wasn't the case before. Like I don't want to underestimate that. That's that's why it makes me even angrier that they don't like have Slovenian subtitles. Let's say it's true because that's that's uh, honestly what well, like one of the benefits is because they're tech companies. They kind of get that there's other people in the world, not like American networks because they just focus on America, which is understandable. But that that's that's the draw for me. So yeah, yeah. And for, again, for those Star Trek, in, yeah. in North America, uh, Star Trek Discovery, which is not available on Netflix in North America is available everywhere else in the world on netflix (laughs) so it's more convenient to watch it in slovenia without (laughs) subtitles i will admit than it is (laughs) to watch it in the united states because you have to pay cbs all access to do yeah but that that that's kind of great honestly like yeah well yeah laugh it (laughs) up laugh it up um i'm paying an extra ten dollars a month to watch star trek but i'm doing it they win they win yeah Uh, yeah but you you get you also get probably like all of the seasons of ncis if that helps oh boy yeah csi cyber and scorpion uh let's take a break and we got another topic but first let me tell you about uh our other sponsor this week it's MailRoute. MailRoute is a secure hosted email filtering service. You can have it up and running in just minutes. It gets rid of spam. It gets rid of viruses. You don't have to. Your server never sees it. MailRoute's got spam and virus protection. It tackles ransomware for Office 365 and Google Apps customers. This is becoming a problem in the email industry today. This is a type of malware that can take your files and encrypt them and leaving you having to pay to get them back. MailRoute protects you against this along with phishing, spoofing, harvest attacks, and much more. You can trust that whatever new stuff comes along, MailRoute's email experts are going to take care of it, too. You don't need to install any hardware or software to take advantage of MailRoute's protection. It happens in the cloud, and you're protected. The mail that comes to you has already been processed and protected by MailRoute. A couple of clicks, and you're done. There's an easy-to-use dashboard and even API tools, so you're set no matter what you want to do. Now, when I talk about MailRoute, I like to tell you what's trending in spam subjects. So here are some spams subjects that I've received recently. Um, I'm seeing a trend. I got a spam with the subject FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C. Also, (laughs) another one called noticed, noticed from FBI office, Andrew McCabe Jr. Uh, Okay, I noticed. And of course, a classic important document notice. That's some of the spam I got this week. MailRoute lets me customize across all my users and domains as a whole. I can set things just how I want, make sure my preferences are available everywhere. I get an email showing what they filtered out, which is where I find my fun spam subjects. The mail never comes to me unless I want it to come to me, but I can see what got filtered out in case something that I want to see got filtered out. That happens occasionally. You can find out much more about MailRoute today by going to mailroute.net slash download FM. Sign up today. You'll get a 30-day free trial so you can try it out for yourself and see what it will do for you. And by going to mailroute.net slash download FM, you can get 10% off for the lifetime of your MailRoute account. Not just for a month, not just for a year, for the lifetime of your account. Uh, and they'll even price match competitors. So thank you to MailRoute for filtering out my spam, uh, entertaining me with spam subject lines, and for their support support of download. Now, before we go to our last topic, I want to mention a story you might have missed. Um, Samsung announced, and The Verge reported on, a new vacuum cleaner that's kind of like a Roomba, uh, but it, it looks like Darth Vader or a stormtrooper, and it makes sounds. 
And uh, Samsung says they can clean from hardwood to hoth, apparently. So if you've ever <laughs> wanted a Darth Vader Roomba, or if you own a Roomba and uh, have always suspected that it's actually an evil uh, Star Wars character, uh, you can get a Samsung, it's not a Roomba, it's a Samsung model. Um, there's a Darth Vader model. Also, I'm reminded of back when Apple did a white and black um, iBook and charged more, or MacBook, and charged more for the black model. I'll just point out the Stormtrooper is $699, Darth Vader $799, because <laughs> it's also got Wi-Fi and it's Darth Vader, and Darth Vader requires greater royalty. So anyway, Star Wars vacuums, just when you thought they had not marketed every single corner of the consumer landscape, Star Wars vacuums. Okay, uh, our last topic, it was discovered this week that uh, that the press units that were handed out of the Google Home Mini had a bug that... So the way the story's been told is that they were always listening to everything you said. It's not quite true. They had a bug. There's a touch-to-speak feature where you can just touch the top and then say a command instead of having to use the trigger phrase. And there was a bug that meant that there were a lot of false positives of the touch feature, which meant that it was constantly being triggered and recording audio and uploading it to Google's servers. In the end, though, people pay attention to this stuff. They noticed that it was happening. Google apologized and says it's disabling that feature altogether. Um, I'm going to take Google at its word. Uh, Google has way more to lose than to gain from recording everything we're saying and spying on us. But... This story plays into every single fear people have about letting cameras and microphones sit all over their houses. So, uh, you know, admitting it's a little bit chilling. Um, is this something that, that we should really care about? And uh, do you worry about this, Anjay? Well, I, I don't really worry about it because like, like you said, uh, Google has way more to lose if something like this was sort of a feature, not a bug of uh, the home products. So I'm sort of still on the side of them doing the right thing. And um, the Android Police article kind of does uh, explain how Google responded uh, to the um, questions and they really were on top of it. At least that's what it seems like. So uh, hopefully this will be like a bug they're going to squash and it won't do that again. I I do have a girlfriend who has (laughs) prohibited me from buying any (laughs) Google Home uh, gadgets because of stuff like this. So this is a story I hope she hasn't seen yet, because if she sees this story, I'm done. Basically, I'm just not never going to be allowed to get one. Because again, I do want to get one because uh, Google has been pretty okay with supporting Slovenian, and I'd like to do it. But yeah, this was this is like the worst thing that can happen with any of these gadgets. Because like putting a microphone that kind of sort of is always listening to you just you know for the phrases that it's, that it's supposed to catch there was that uh, story a while back with the samsung tvs having some microphones and listening to stuff and oh no, it wasn't samsung i think well, one of the tv companies when you hear stuff like that you just know there's the potential for just really creepy invasive stuff is there and then the, 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 the one thing i actually do worry about is sort of the legislature not really catching up to the technology like that's been a problem since forever, but I think with this kind of stuff where, you know, people are, people are willingly putting, you know, cameras and microphones in their homes, like there should be some sort of, you know, government oversight of what the companies can and can't do. And there is some, but I think the technology, this is really where there's a the potential for the technology just to run away with it. And we're all going to lose uh, by the end of it. So, you know, uh, I was kind of hoping for the, what's the, the FCC is the agency in America, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I was kind of hoping for, you know, them to, I've been kind of been following, not closely, but following it, but nothing's come from them. And the guy that runs it now is kind of weird, but, you know, yeah, not the greatest story. <laughs> it's bad timing, isn't it? Is uh, yeah. First of all, because it's their next phase of, of products and they had some really good products. Um, I don't know what mine recorded uh, while uh, we we had it for, you know, since last week from the event. Uh, nothing particularly interested if they, if they did record <laughs> it. Um, but uh, it's, it's really what consumers don't want to hear. The ones that are paranoid. I think, you know, early tech consumers, I don't know that they care so much. Um, the bottom line for me, though, is always what's in it for me. Like, what is my return of investment and what risk am I prepared to run Um because of that return of investment. And and that's what it boils down to. Um, so there are going to be consumers that are not going to care because they're going to still use it. But what I wonder is how many, in reality, how many uh, consumers actually would touch the device because that's, you know, the what you explained was what they said. That was, um, it would pick up as if you touched it when you didn't touch it. That's what was happening, right? It would sense that you touched it and therefore start recording, right. uh, but you didn't touch it. Uh, now you cannot touch it. That's it. You know, you can only activate it with voice. So they, they disable that function altogether so that um, consumers will not be concerned, which is a great step, right? They didn't say we fixed it because that would have left. How do you know? You know, they tell you they fixed it, but how do you know? if they fixed it or not. It's not something you can touch, but you can see, you know, well, you can touch it, but <laughs> it's not something actually that comes out and say, okay, yeah, now I trust it. I can see what they've done to it. All of this happens in, in the backend, right? And so you don't know. So saying they disable that feature, so now when you touch it, nothing happens, I think put everybody's concerns at rest. The question is, of course, you know, will now people start freaking out that there are other things that have not been detected that might be going on? Um, and that's when what's in it for me comes in. The people that think they get enough return won't care. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you always track one way or another, right? And, and if you start <laughs> to think about, it's true, isn't it? You know, even in the city, with, with smart cities, there are cameras everywhere, I'm sure they can track my whole day if they wanted to. And by they is a mix of things, right? Is private and public companies, mm -hmm. right? So that's where we're going. Yeah, but the, the thing is, you know, with surveillance cameras and stuff like that, there's clear sort of, law, well, not everywhere, but like there's clear laws of what you can or can't do. And I think the difference here is because, you know, like trusting your email to Google, like I do, you there's sort of an intent when you send email messages, you kind of do like consciously like type it out and stuff with the the home automation gadget. The, the thing is, it's kind of a passive thing that just sits in the corner and kind of hears everything. I think that's where, I, I, that's why I have a problem. Like I, I'll call people that think that Google's reading my email. I'll call those people paranoid, but I have a tougher time calling people paranoid. They think that the gadget's just listening to them because it kind of is like, not really, but do you know what I mean? Because it's a passive thing. I think that's where it kind of gets murky and not just, I, I agree with the return on investment and stuff like I'll, I'll I still come down on the the fact that you know it's mostly still good for the consumer but because these are like passive systems it's kind of just sit there and they'll record everything if they want to like with the bug here not really like 
close enough. That's where it kind of, you know, where the sort of, well, you're just being paranoid argument kind of falls apart for me a little. It's, it's, it's not that they couldn't, they could spy on you. I mean, I think that's one of the issues is they could, and we're yeah. relying on, uh, and not just believing. And if it's Google or Apple or Amazon, I, I, I believe that they're not going to do it because they would get in trouble and people are watching. But if it's some other random vendor of a generic camera or something, or if their security is bad and somebody else compromises the device, right? Then they got a microphone. That's a bigger problem. Yeah. I'm less concerned about what Google can hear. And, you know, in my head is like, okay, he's going to listen to me and he's going to listen. But I'm desperate to go to Hawaii in December and I'm trying to find a good deal. So, I open up my browser and as if by magic, here is a trip for a while. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the kind of thing, which is already what you feel is happening in your browser. Yeah. That's what happens on the web all the time. It's just that for these devices, you have to use a trigger word before it actually does that. But, but, but but isn't that a difference? Because when it's a browser, you kind of, you're, you're like looking at your phone or you're sitting behind the computer. Like there's this, I think there's this inherent thing that when you close your door to your house, Right, that there's privacy kind of, there implied. Yes, that's mm-hmm. yes. There's it's just implied, and I think that's where the difference is. Because I like sitting behind a computer and looking for Hawaii tickets. Uh, like that's an active sort of you know you're searching for stuff, or just you know even if you just get an ad and you're searching for something else. But when yeah, when when I close my door, it's kind of nice knowing that it's just me there, right? Not not seven microphones listening to me. But to your point, Jason, yes, the. Random manufacturer of, of a device that has an embedded OS and then gets hit. That's never come back to bite us, right? That's never been a, the bad thing. That's, so. It's going to happen. I mean, this is one of those things where as a, yep. as a tech savvy person, you can predict this and it will happen sometime in the next few years and there will be a big uproar. There will be some second tier video provider who's doing one of these things that lets you watch your cat when you're not home and they're going to get hacked and all of their home footage is going to get plowed through by some hacker and there's going to be embarrassing stuff that they release on the internet and everybody's going to freak out about it. And it's going to happen because even if Apple and Amazon and Google... What happens with email, right? Right. I mean, even if even if the big players are... And they could have a huge security breach too. It's entirely possible, but they've got more people on it. But, you know, some random home webcam thing, uh, it's, gonna, it's almost inevitable if they haven't already been compromised and they're just <laughs> watching all the videos looking using machine learning to find the most embarrassing things to release on the internet i don't know i mean that's that i think it's a huge danger i, I would i actually wouldn't sort of limit it to a second tier company or a random company because yahoo is a great example of that like that is it that was a powerhouse and then it kind of started to fade and in that sort of slow decline it's still on we know the hacks that happened there and then how they tried to conceal it and you know if you ask a person that got their first email address and it was a yahoo address like they they still i still find people who trust the, the yahoo name you right know, they, they still trust and it's not like a random you know a manufacturer of a webcam so you know on, on the what the infinite time scale you know that that can be an apple or a google product honestly and it's to be fair our phones have microphones and cameras and they're in our Absolutely. houses too although yeah. which yeah. means that they can hear us although the cameras 
cameras are generally not pointed where they could see anything, right? If you've got it laying down somewhere. I, I do draw the line at having cameras uh, cameras active in my home that are pointed at like any area I would consider private because I just, uh, again, it's like the idea that there's a camera that could be activated that's looking at me. And I've gotten over the fact that there's a camera on my computer. And I've even gotten over the, that there's a camera on my Amazon Echo Show in that pointing at my kitchen because I kind of don't care. But like to put... A, and I guess I've so got you a, wouldn't get the spot I've, then. I, w- I wouldn't. I, I, got, I guess I've got a, an Xbox with a Connect too. So there's a camera in my living room. But uh, but again, I, I would not. Yeah, I would not put a camera in my bedroom. I just I'm not interested in that. And there, so so even there, I'm kind of drawing the line. But I do wonder sometimes if I'm drawing the line a little too far, and if I might be better putting some electrical tape over the Echo Show camera, which I never use anyway. And so why why do I even? And my iMac's webcam. I have a USB webcam. I use when I want to have a good webcam. So maybe I should just cover that one up too, just in case, even though, I don't know, sometimes I think maybe we're too forgiving of this stuff, but it's so convenient to have it, to have those devices. <laughs> That's it, right? What's in it for me? And, yeah, and with the cameras, the one thing that's kind of, that's still, I still like, I, I catch myself thinking about it, like the fidelity has gone way up. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not really, like it used to be, you know, the, the webcam was this crappy thing that you could kind of use Skype with or whatever, and it's kind of just barely, you could kind of make out shapes. But now anything over like, I don't know, eight megapixels, that's a, like, that's a proper camera. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it gets, it gets weird. Well, the home, the home monitoring ones have like a, a lens. It's a high definition camera with a lens that's a ultra wide angle lens. And so you've got high definition video of a wide expanse of space in somebody's house. Yeah, with IR. Mm-hmm. So right. night vision, basically. Night. <laughs> Don't turn off the lights and think that you're you're hiding either. No. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, as well, what we, we think is our privacy and where we are most private and uh, which... I think denotes maybe uh, like culturally, right? Is the bedroom and not the living room. And maybe, you know, for some people that's not the case right. because in the living room is where the kids spend most of their time, right? And when we're awake. So why do I, you know, what am I concerned about? I suppose is, you know, a, a a video of me getting changed in the morning or somebody watching my kids while they right. play, you know, is, is, yeah. And then you go down creepy lane very, very quickly. <laughs> uh, don't go down creepy lane. I don't advise it. It's a bad, it's a bad part of town. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of this episode. Um, we normally talk about what to look out for in the week ahead. I don't know. I'm sure something will happen. I don't think there's a lot going on. I'm going to Chicago next week uh, for the release notes conference, but I will be back just in time to do next week's show. That's a relief. But until then, I would like to thank my guests, my wonderful guests, Carolina Milanese. Where can people find the stuff that you do? They can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese. They can find my weekly column on Wednesday on techpinions.com. And uh, I am usually at the Creative Strategies office. Uh, all right, so you can uh, you can uh, don't don't go to the office. Just don't, don't go don't, to the that office. Would be... Actually, we have a really cool museum that people should mm. see. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you, it's just you, you might have to go on creepy lane to get there. So don't do that. <laughs> um, Anjay, where can people find the stuff that you do? 
I, I have this podcast called Storming Mortal that hasn't been updated in about like a couple of years, but we'll have a new English speaking episode. Oh, nice. So yeah, that's that's coming next next week, which um, you know, it's a revival almost. Yeah, but I, I show up on uh, on Clockwise. Uh, that's not true. a lot, but I do show up there. So and on Twitter, and you're then, Atomic XX, my favorite Twitter handle. That, Yes, that's my English Twitter handle. Yes. My Slovene Twitter handle has way more followers. That's all I'm going to say. I'm sure it does. Well, that's because you're number one in Slovenia. We've already established this. As, as uh, says uh, Jason Snow. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You can quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> all right. And I am Jason Snell, your host. And I have been and will continue to be for hopefully quite a while longer. Until next week, we're going to be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.